0: I want to start off by just uh, um, letting you know a little bit of an update about my trip coming up. It is I'm leaving in eight days. I'm going to be gone for uh, 13 days to the country of Ukraine, and I kind of went into this thing really naive, uh, <laughs> it's like I'm going to come back really smart, but I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm already less naive of what God is doing in the Ukraine. It is unbelievable. Within the country opened up in I believe 1991, which means before that it was a communist country. In 1991, the numbers were in the 200s of people within this this fellowship that I'm going to be working with, and I believe now it's in the 18,000s. And I didn't realize this, but it's primarily through uh, one of our denominational affiliations, the Baptist General Conference. We're also affiliated with the Evangelical Free Church, but through the Baptist. And here in Minnesota. There's been a tie, a sister church relationship that has kind of spread across the country now to many other, uh, not only just our denomination, but to other denominations. This seems crazy. I didn't, I didn't really realize how intense this was. And I just found out about it at a meeting this week, and I'm, I'm getting very excited to go um, to Ukraine. I get to be a part of two four-day conferences where we get to be involved in helping some of these pastors who have, some of them, only an eighth-grade education. And uh, none of them have, to the best of my knowledge, uh, none of them have a seminary education of any kind. And they just need some help in how do you pastor a church. And But I'm going to be learning a ton, too, about Ukraine and everything. So I think I'm going to come back much more enriched uh, than I left just give you an update where I'm at. I'm I'm at 50% of my financial goal, um, and I'm also at about 75% of my prayer goal, but if you'd like to be over that, that's fine too. Um, I have these little things out here on this table. If you'd like to help be a part of the, the financial team or the prayer team, the prayer team involves a commitment of praying every day. For those 14 days, you'll get an email. You just sign up. And you just pray it through when it comes, and you hit delete. Or you can pray it more than once if you really want to, but I love just hitting delete because I love checking things off that I get done during a day. And so it feels like, yes, I did something today. And it'll just be a very brief uh, two to three sentences about what's going on that day and what you could be praying for. And I still have around $1,500 to raise. And so if you'd like to do that, they're right on this table. If you want to fill it out, you could put it right in the box on the wall there. That would be great. This morning I want to show you a video clip. Actually, about half of my talk this morning is going to be a video clip presentation, and uh, it's one that I'm sure you all have seen. Uh, this video is, is uh, from the Lord of the Rings. And um, now if you haven't seen the last Return of the King, which I, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by raising your hand, um, but it's probably not many of you, but just in case you haven't, I don't want you to be, um, you, can, you can put that up there, Maddie. the, the first thing. Um, there you go. That guy's name is Faramir. And he is a brother to Boromir. Boromir was killed off early in the movies, if you remember right. And so, um, what is happening right now, the, the sequence of scenes I want to show you are how his father, who's the king of Gondor, you don't need to know any more than what I just said. If you never saw the movie and you're going, oh my gosh, I hate this fairyland, there's nothing else. Don't, don't sweat. This isn't your thing. You don't. You, what I want you to watch is the relationship between Faramir, this son, and the king of Gondor, his father, especially now that the king has found out that Boromir, his other son, has been killed. That's what I want you to follow through this chain of scenes. Go ahead. Some interesting things to see in there about the relationship between Faramir and King of Gondor, you can just see it dripping throughout the scenes when he sees his son. He has an image of his Boromir, of his other son, and then realizing it's not him, he tells him, leave me. And then even in Faramir's mind when he's having that scene where he's talking with uh, the young young, um, Hobbit, who is going to go and be part of this battle. He says, Boromir was always the soldier. They were so alike, he and my father and I. She just never felt like he measured up to this, to this other son. And then he asks him the ultimate question. He says, he says, you wish now that our places had been different, that I had died and Boromir had lived? And he says, yes. The father says, yes. I wish that. And then as soon as Gandalf, the guy in the white, you know, comes out there and this whole group of of troops are leaving, he gets to the root of the issue. He says, "This this is madness. This is crazy. And just as he's leaving, he tells him the real issue. He says, your father loves you. Although he won't find out about it until the end. There's some serious pain that that movie hits in all of us, and it even, even as I, I previewed this, I got this all ready to go, and it still kind of connects with me. There's, there's this pain of that kind of rejection that just hits deep down within you. And, and movie, movie makers know that. Everyone knows that. Everyone in this room has experienced that type of unacceptance. The first time where it became, for me, very real was in the fifth grade. The fifth grade was was the worst year of my probably entire school period. They were trying an experiment, which uh, educators are known to do, and they decided to put fifth and sixth graders in the same classroom. I have no idea why. I wish they had decided one year later when I was the sixth grader, but they decided when I was a fifth grader. And for whatever reason, I got put in with um, two guys, Mike and Paige, who had decided to make my life miserable. And so they would do whatever they could to pick, not only me, but, it, but certainly me, pick on me and everyone else in the room. I mean, hello, educators, sixth graders pick on fifth graders. This is just a, a, a law of science. Just don't put them in the same classroom. But that's what happened. To make matters worse, in that classroom, my teacher was going through, <laughs> right in front of us, a nervous breakdown. He would leave the room for up to half an hour at a time. He would come back in the room to go have a cigarette or whatever. He'd come back, so under no supervision for half an hour. I know, I was raised on the Iron Range, I admit it. It's just crazy. And so, of course, it's chaos in the room, right? Of course, we're monkeys climbing all over everything. It's been half an hour. He'd come back into the room. That's in the days when they had these big, thick, solid doors. The way he'd announce his arrival... Was he'd swing that door, and then he'd take about three steps, and it would take—he'd be able to be standing right in front of the classroom. When that door slammed, the whole room would shake, and and he would just start yelling. I did not grow up in a family of yelling. I have one now. Uh, um. (laughs) I grew up in a Norwegian home where, as loud as it got, was Steve. We're kind of disappointed in you. Here's this guy making his entrance. The room is shaking, and he's just screaming at us. I am scared. I'm, he's going he's to kill me. Middle of that year, my grandfather, my favorite grandfather I felt the closest to, had a stroke, and with days he died. All of that in the context of feeling probably more alone than I ever felt in my life. Some of my neighborhood friends had moved on to other friends, and I didn't feel like I had any friends at all. I'm sure many of you can relate with this some period in your life. My bus, for whatever reason, uh, got there on the route. It got there so we always had half an hour in the morning before school started. Do you know what half an hour is like when you have no friends? That's an eternity. And I remember finally rehearsing this and going over this many, many times in my mind, finally getting the courage to come up to a guy and choking on the words, tears coming out of my eyes, and saying to this guy, will you be my friend? Now, that's a freaky question to ask somebody, you know? I mean, that's just, I don't blame the guy for his response, but I remember sticking out my hand, and he kind of looked at it, and he didn't really know what to do, and he just kind of went, yeah, sure, and just kind of backed off. Like, whoa, you're a weird duck, aren't you? And I was a weird duck. I, I longed for someone to accept me, someone who would be excited when they saw me get off the bus in the morning. And I remember thinking how utterly I felt like I hung it all out right there and I got rejected. Pain of rejection is something you never, never forget. I remember my dad saying to me, I remember talking with him about this year, my fifth grade year, and he said, son, this is something you will look back on you later and laugh. I'm 41 now. I have never laughed about that year. Rejection is something that stings deep. What is rejection anyway? Why? What is rejection? Why does that hurt so bad? And I, I just did a little bit of a, a little bit of a search here on the word rejection. Is I love when you look up a word and then it says it's the act of rejecting. <laughs> oh, that's helpful. <clears throat> so then, of course, I being on the internet, I clicked on rejecting and it got me to reject, which was more helpful. It says it comes from the the word rejectus from Latin. Re. And then jacare, which means to throw, and I'm going to show you that in just a minute. It comes from the word jet, reject. It's to refuse to accept. It's to consider or submit to. It's a refusal to do that. It's a, refuse, it's a refusal or it's refuse to hear, receive, or admit. It's to rebuff. It's to Repel. It's to refuse as a lover or a spouse. And so, when, just for fun, I clicked on that word jet where it said that, where that came from, and I looked it up, and that means like jettison. You know, you know the word jettison? You know like when you have a rocket, it jettisons off part of it? That's where this comes from. And it means to literally to throw. To spout forth. I think the thing about rejection, what makes it so painful, is it's not neglect. Neglect is just... Passing over someone. Rejecting someone is an action. You actually do it. You reject them. You push them back. You could see it in that clip. When he comes up to his father, when he'd fallen down, he says, Father, and you can just tell her there's this barrier, don't come any closer. It's like this invisible shield. Stay away. Some of you have been through this experience, I certainly have, when you're trying to meet with a nice, fine young lady who you've had a crush on for a long time and you have the dreaded DTR, define the relationship. And you basically come out there and it takes a while, but guys, you get out there and you finally say, I kind of think you're neat. (laughs) And she says, I kind of think I'd like to keep you as a friend. Anybody ever been there? Don't raise your hand. Okay. (laughs) I've been there. And it's kind and it's nice, but it's rejection. It's not where I wanted this thing to go. And it stings. And you will never laugh about it. I'm telling you right now. You won't laugh about it. We're in a series right now called The Gospel of John. It's a look at, uh, we're going to go through uh, John's gospel, his account of what, of Jesus Christ's life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and we're in the first 18 verses between now and Christmas, what's called the introduction to the gospel of John, some people call it the prologue. We've been looking at uh, some different things in, in the first parts of this, and I'd like to read it to you in context as I read to you verses 10 and 11, which are the biggest rejection of all time. So I'm going to read this all in context, though, so you get the feel of it. John, starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light is verses 10 and 11. He he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I just want to do a couple pondering things here. Look at the first verse there, verse 10. It says, The world came into being because of him. Think about that for a minute. He created everything about the world, all the people, all the animals, everything. Then it says, and he came and he walked in the world. He was in the world. He walks right there in this place. And the passage says, even though that's true, the world did not know him, the world did not recognize him. It's kind of like that movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Remember that, that at the very, uh, towards the end of the movie where George Bailey says, you know, I just wish I was never born. And uh, Clarence, the angel, says, okay, you got your wish. He says, what? You got your wish. you would never been born. And the rest of the movie is him going back and seeing people that he knows and loves. He sees his wife as a spinster, and he's just freaking out. Mary, Mary, he's shaking her. You, you must know me. He doesn't know him. What are you? This is, who are you? That's exactly what's going on here. Jesus comes to that which he made. Every person, everything. And his own doesn't even recognize him. Look at the second verse, verse 11. <laughs> it's more than that, though. It says, he came to that which was his own. His own, and his own did not welcome him. His own did not receive him. I'm going to the Ukraine here on uh, next, a week from tomorrow. When I leave, I will leave a family. I have three children and a wife, whom I love very dearly. And I will land on November 20th, and I will come home, just think of this. Now, if this were true, and my key wouldn't fit, what? And I'd knock on the door, and what's, what's going on here? Key wouldn't fit in the door. Bang on the door a little bit, and one of my kids would look through the, the glass and close the glass. And I'd bang on it some more. Finally, Carol would come, and she, through the, through the window, would say, what do you want? What do you mean, what do I want? I live here. I want to come in. I want to see you. I haven't seen you for 13 days. She'd say, go away. Go away. Go away. I don't know you. Get out of here. Now, that's freaky talk, okay? That's like something that that movies are made of that are freaky. (laughs) That's what's going on here. It's that weird. He came to that which was his own, and his own didn't receive him. I want you to understand that God is in control of all things, but this is a painful thing. Jesus describes this relationship when he describes who are his own. Who are his own? He's talking to a group of religious leaders in Matthew chapter 21. <laughs> the group of, these are the, the high, these are, the, these are his own people, right? Jesus was a religious person. Obviously, he talks about God, he himself is, he is God. And he comes, he's talking with the religious rulers. He should have been homies with these guys, right? And here's what he says. Listen to another parable. He's telling this to these religious rulers. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Jesus is now asking these religious rulers, what will he do? And their answer is, well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking to them now, he says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. The chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables. They knew he was talking about them and they look for a way to arrest him because they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They had a chance right there and then to say, oh my gosh, we've been treating you like that. We've been rejecting you. We've been rejecting the most important thing. And they don't. I want to close this morning by asking you, is your heart diligent? Is your heart diligent? to not reject Jesus Christ. Because if you think you can just go through life and just kind of add Jesus to it, let me just tell you right now, that's exactly what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. He came to that which was his own, and his own rejected him. On your own, you if you're not diligent, if you're not open and say, Jesus, I, I don't want you just to be a speck on the distance of my life. You need to be my life. If you're not diligent like that, you will reject Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is a a somber one. It's a, it's a very hurtful thing to think that you came into this world and you felt like Faramir, being rejected of the very ones you created. Father, I know that if I were alive at that time and without a work of your spirit working in me, I would have done the exact same thing. I would have been the one putting nails in your hands and feet. And oh God, that's not where our heart wants to be. So we pray for your spirit to work in our lives. We look so forward to next week, verse 12. It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what we pray for, God. We pray that we would believe. We pray that we would receive. We do not want to be rejectors In any area of our lives, Lord God, by your spirit in this room, there may be people who are rejecting you and are holding you at arms bay at a distance, And, and Lord, by your grace right now, would you allow that arm to be taken down so they can have fellowship with you? Maybe for the first time in their lives, and others of us, there's just areas of our life we're keeping you away. Let's pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.